we're in this uh, series called Epiphany. And this is going to be a series that's going to lead us up to Lent and Christmas. And um, Epiphany, as I've talked about, is one of those kind of words that we don't really use a lot. I mean, you might say, oh, I had an epiphany about this. Um, but we don't normally think of epiphany in uh, religious terms very often. We come to this season, and so some of us maybe are familiar with the idea of epiphany, or maybe for some of us, you know, we're just used to going into just kind of some other series as you get the new year. Um, but this is a season. This is a time. This is a uh, season um, that churches all around the world are kind of following through. And it's a time that leads us up to uh, Lent and up to Easter. Um, it follows the seasons of Advent that we went through that take us up to the seasons of Christmas. And all of these seasons are about preparation. They're all about preparing our hearts. It's all about processing and thinking. Um, it's all about one of the really cool things. It's all about entering the story that we're in. And that's one of the really cool things that we do as we follow this. Because rather, rather than sort of going all over the place, or rather than sort of just going into, um, you know, what does this say about this? Or, or what's this uh, need that we have? We want to talk about this. Or, you know, pulling passages out. This is inviting us instead to think a little bit different, to come into sort of a, a rhythm to come into sort of a, a calendar that just sort of allows us to walk slowly through the story. And so at Advent, we began this journey. And um, if you remember, we, we went through these four weeks that sort of begin to help us to understand uh, why did Jesus come? How did people understand who Jesus was? What, what are the, the, the fears that people had in that time? What are the hopes that people had? What are the promises of God that were, that were there that, 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 that as Jesus is born, what are those promises that he's fulfilling? What are, what are those moments that we see these people like the shepherds, you know, go, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. You know, we, we, we see Mary's response. We see Elizabeth. We see all these stories. And as we enter the story, we sort of go, okay, I want to enter the hopes with them. I want to enter the promises that these people are going through. I, I want to enter this story and experience it as it was happening for the first time. And that's what's really cool about these seasons, is that they come every year, but they bring us back into the story. Because here's what, here's what I think tends to happen, and, and you, you may follow me here for a second. We tend to think of faith like this, right? We sort of say, well, here's my, my faith world. This is my faith box. This is sort of the faith calendar that we have, right? And then I sort of have everything else over here, and I sort of do these things, and life kind of goes on and, and does its thing. And we tend to, uh, whether we want to or not, we tend to separate, and we tend to push these things away. And what the seasons do for us like this, Advent sort of pulls us back into it. Uh, my mom and I have been talking about this a lot because We've been talking about these different Christmas seasons and how in culture what tends to happen is we, we get pushed away from this calendar piece. So rather than having the hope and the promises and the expectation that we have through Advent, we just have four, maybe eight, sometimes 10 or 12 weeks of the celebration of Christmas, right? You walk into a store, they're playing Christmas music, it's the 4th of July, and they're already celebrating the birth of Christ. And, and your tendency, I've said this, your tendency inside you is to go, this is wrong. This doesn't seem right. And they'll, be, they'll be like, oh, because I don't like Christmas music. Everybody loves Christmas music. I, I think everybody loves Christmas music. So most of us would be like, I like this song, but this doesn't feel right. This feels wrong, right? Well, that feels wrong because we're not supposed to be there yet. The story isn't there yet. The story is that there are hopes, there are promises, there are expectations. There's waiting for the Messiah to come. And we want to enter into that story. 
We want to feel that tension. We want to feel that weight because when Jesus is born, we want to celebrate and say, not just because it's, oh, it's Christmas Eve and I get to open some presents and I like the songs that we sing. Rather, the Messiah is born. And it really comes when we enter that story, it comes that moment and we get to go, oh, this is it. This is why we're here. Jesus has come. The Messiah is born. And then what's cool is then we get to celebrate. And then we get these two weeks of just incredible celebration of Christmas that leads us then to this season of epiphany. And last week we began this season, we began into this moment of talking about the idea of epiphany, who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do. And so we looked at the story of the three wise men who come from afar. They're not, they're, they aren't the people you would expect in the story They're not part of the people who had the hopes and the promises of the Messiah, but they come and they come and they don't just come and see, they come and they worship. And in that moment, we see all of us are invited. We see in that right there that every single person who hears the good news of Jesus can respond to his grace and mercy and his love and come and worship. I love it. It's not just a come and see story. It's a come and worship. Everyone and anyone come and see. And then we saw in Jesus' baptism. We see as uh, as John baptized Jesus, and he talked about that, hey, listen, I I baptize you, but I want to tell you about this guy coming. Jesus is not just going to baptize you. He doesn't baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is a huge statement, huge statement, that in that moment he's saying the Holy Spirit isn't just going to come on a few select people at certain places, at certain times, for certain things, as it is in the rest of the scriptures. He says a new day is coming, a new time is happening when the Holy Spirit will come upon all people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works in and through us to help us become more like Jesus and to be bearers of his grace and his love and his mercy and his justice into this world. So Jesus comes as the Messiah, the Savior, and then says in here, now go out and share this good news. Be people of love and grace and mercy and start with yourselves. Be changed by God working within you, and God will do incredible, amazing things through you. Amazing! And this is why we enter the story. We enter these different seasons. We enter this time of Advent, of Christmas, and Epiphany to follow along in that story. Now, as I said, for some of us, we have a hard time kind of moving into this idea of seasons because we typically function through the mindset of different seasons, right? Okay, so let's talk about some seasons that we normally go through. A normal season that we think of is, okay, we have summer, right? We have fall. We have uh, winter is coming, apparently. Uh, And we have spring, right? We think about those seasons. And so as the weather patterns change, we tend to just kind of formulate and follow through those seasons, right? Well, then we have other seasons. We have, um, we have football season. We have basketball season. We have baseball season, right? Okay. What season? Right, I was going to say that. My next one is racing season. For some of us, we have racing season, not racing season, okay? And that's how it works. So after, after even, even for me, I love IndyCar. I mean, I love the whole season. But I am depressed the day after the race, guys. Because it's either the day before the race or 
the race is over. That, those are two seasons that exist, and that's just how it works, right? So there's racing season or there's not racing season. And then some of us are so entrenched in school calendars, it's first semester, second semester, summer break. And that's sort of just the way that we think about the seasons. But our seasons, as I talked about, matter. Seasons are important. Because seasons, as I put in my notes this morning, seasons uh, help us to celebrate, think, let's think through this, meaningful moments, right? We practice traditions in those seasons that are passed down to us. And we tell and retell stories that have impacted us in several different ways. Now, here's, here's what's cool. This is true for all those other seasons. I just want you to know this. If you are a baseball fan and it is baseball season, you have traditions that you celebrate. You, you have certain moments that you think about, right? And you get to places where you tell and retell stories. I mean, listen, I'm a Pacer fan, right? So I come into the season and I go, well, listen, I remember. Stories that I tell and retell are when I saw on the big screen TV right outside Market Square Arena, I saw Reggie come off that screen, and he absolutely smacked Michael Jordan. Grabbed the ball, shot a three, starts jumping and twisting. Does anybody remember this? Jumping and twisting in circles, and he's just losing his mind. Larry Bird's like this. Won the game. I, I, I remember that. I would tell and I would retell that story. We have traditions about the things that we do. Listen, I'm going to do certain things on race day because this is what I do. These are the traditions. And if I don't do the traditions the right way, I've broken something about it, right? And then we celebrate moments. Do you remember when that happened? You remember this happened? You remember this happened? Like all these things that are so important to us, we go over and over. We do the same thing with school. We want our kids to experience the same things that we experience because that's what we did at school. I was so disappointed. We went to the high school to begin to talk about Emily going to the high school. And I, I, was, I was talking to this teacher and I said, do you guys still do the big, uh, where you put them in different political parties and they have like conventions and they make platforms and stuff? It was like I had nine eyeballs. And they were like, what are you talking about? Why would we do that? And I was like, civic engagement. What are you doing? This is how you get the kids engaged. We need it. They had no idea what I was talking about. Anyways, now I'm telling you that. I, I, all of this massive intro, because I want us to lean into this idea that seasons matter. That walking through Advent, walking through Christmas, walking through Epiphany, coming to Lent, coming to Easter, following this calendar, that this matters because it helps us to celebrate moments. It helps us to tell and to retell stories. It help, helps us to have these traditions that are going to be so impactful and so important for us. This is a critical part of the development of our faith. It's a critical development, honestly, of the next generation to be able to move through all of this. Now, there's a word for this. We don't just make this up. This is called a liturgical calendar. And so when you look at this, you think about different types of calendars. The calendar that we're talking about is this liturgical calendar. And on this liturgical calendar, you could look up liturgical calendar, you could download it to your calendar, um, you would find these different dates that are all sorts of set out and prepared. Along with that, we have the lectionary, which gives us all of the different readings that we follow throughout the years that go along with it. Three years of readings that all tie in to this calendar to help us tell the story. And some smart people got together 
and from all kinds of different groups of churches and, and faith backgrounds all around the world, and they agree to, here's how the calendar will lay out, and here's how this will set out, so that we can all walk this story together. And we can all come to this place We can all come to this place where we can experience, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make whoever's phone isn't, make them uncomfortable. Uh, Whereas it allows us to walk through this and to experience this together. Now, going back to this, epiphany, word we don't use often, right? Advent, maybe one of those words we don't use very often. And as I say the word liturgy, it's probably one of those words that we do not use very often. I doubt that you go around and say, well, this is our liturgy. But liturgy is really, it's a practice. It's, it's, a, it's a way that the church um, is able to take the, those traditions, able to take those stories, able to take those things and put all of those together. So we've got a liturgy for Sunday morning. Some churches have a very more uh, kind of um, very traditional liturgy that they follow. Okay, this reading goes here. This song goes here. These words get said here. We have a little bit looser of a liturgy, the background of our church, who we are, but we still have a liturgy. We typically sing three songs. We're going to have a prayer. We're going to have a sermon. We might have another song at the close, and we'll have the words that we read at the end of the service. That is our liturgy. And if we got away from that liturgy, you'd be like, Ryan, what are you doing? Why are, why are you moving away from the liturgy? But it is, it is the word that we use to describe this sort of calendar, this sort of pattern. Now, what's cool is, uh, again, this isn't just a made-up word. This is a word that actually goes back uh, into history. So, for example, if you look at uh, the Roman people, you had people who practiced liturgy. They had a role that they did. They were the officials of liturgy. And when they served in those roles, it was typically a civic role. So a person's responsibility in a civic role that they were maybe voted into was this was their liturgy. And as, as translations began to take place then, they began to use that word and that understanding to assign it to some other different pieces. So you've got these officials, these Roman officials, who have their liturgy that they do. They have their civic role that they're functioning in, their leadership role, the things that they're supposed to take the people through as they do the specific things that they're supposed to do as a part of their role in the government. Uh, And then, as the translations began to take place of the Bible, they began to use that word liturgy to assign it to other places as well. So as you take the Hebrew Bible, and the Hebrew Bible began translated into Greek, they began to look at the roles of the priest. And so as they looked at the roles of the priest, what word do you think they used to define the roles that the priest had? It was their liturgy. So we come to uh, John the Baptist, who we talked about last week. His father was Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple. And if we read about Zechariah and his role as a priest in the original Greek language, the, role, the word used to describe his role in the service that he did was liturgy. That was his job. That was his role, his liturgy or his service. Now, <laughs> this is all going to make sense, I promise. I'm making all this connect. The reason that we gather together And we call what we do. We don't call this a show, right? We don't call it a concert. We don't call it a speech. We don't call it a pep rally. We call the gathering that we do together a service, which seems like a really strange thing to say until we realize that it's connected to this word, liturgy. It was the service that the priest did. 
It was the function that they did. They were in the service of the people, the service of God, to create this liturgy, this time of worship. So all of that connects, moves on, comes to us as this time that we gather together and we say, this is a service. Now, I'm not a priest. Kurt is not a priest. But we lead our time of liturgy. And the person who actually is the leader of our liturgy is Jesus. Jesus is our priest, which is why when we come to this uh, passage, it helps us make a lot of sense of all of this. And I want you to see how all of this connects, because this idea, guys, this is amazing. This idea that we work through this liturgical calendar that helps us see the promises and the expectations, the hope of the Messiah— We walk into this idea of of seeing who Jesus is and who Jesus what, what Jesus came to do. We walk through, continuing through the liturgy to see his life and his teaching, his death, and then we celebrate his resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto all people. And we walk through all of this seeing that this is a liturgy that takes us into an understanding So here, listen to this. This is so cool. Hebrews 4. He says, Therefore, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess, profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, priest. This high priest who leads us into our service. A, a, again, a service, a liturgy, because he is the one. He is the high priest. He is the priest who guides us in the worship, in the service. And so this author who writes this understands this. We have a great high priest. It is Jesus the Son of God, and because he is the Son of God, let's hold firmly to this faith because he is the one who is leading and guiding us. So during the season of Epiphany, then, we're looking to Jesus, who Jesus was, what Jesus came to do. And this idea of service by, the, by a priest is one of the ways that we understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Now, the author tells us why we can trust and follow this high priest. Let's let's continue on and see what he has to say. He said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this is really an incredible passage if you think about this. I want you to imagine these early Christians. They're coming together into worship, okay? And I want you to remember and understand that they are making a huge, bold claim in their faith. They are saying, the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived his life in Nazareth. He came and he preached. He shared the good news. He was rejected, he was crucified, 
And then they make the incredible audacious claim, he was resurrected, he rose from the dead. And then they said, not only did he, did he rise from the dead, not only did he walk among people, not only did he see his disciples again face to face, but then he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father as the king of all kings. This is a massive claim to make, especially in an ancient world where you look around and there are people who believe all kinds of different gods. There are people who would look and say, that doesn't make any sense at all. You have people in the Jewish faith who looked at some of these Christians and said, you believe in the Messiah. We don't believe the Messiah did come. How did the Messiah die? Why did the Messiah die? And there begins this, there's difference and an argument that begins to take place among people. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I can believe in this. And so then think about this. These people then who believe in Jesus as the Messiah continue to gather together as people coming together for worship. They no longer have this place to come together where the priest is, is doing the service for them. They've left the, the formal religion of the Roman Empire so they no longer have that religion to follow where there is a person who uh, leads the liturgy there. They coming to, they're coming together in these houses. They're coming together in these public spaces of worship. And somebody's looking around and saying, well, who's in charge? Who's leading the service? Who's guiding us in this? How do we know that we can hold on to this faith? Because they're holding on with very loose ends because they're not sure who, who do we follow here. And this author in Hebrews makes this incredible statement looking back at who Jesus was and says, listen, listen, we have a high priest. Therefore, we have a high priest. That high priest has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the son of God. They're saying, guys, remember we said he, he, he was resurrected? Remember we said that he ascended? Remember we said that he still lives and talks and walks and moves and shares his Holy Spirit with us? He's saying, guys, would you just believe that? He's like, would you just hold on to that faith? See, something changes in us when we begin to walk in our lives. Because this is no different than somebody saying this. What, what this author is saying in some very beautiful language here is this. My Jesus lives. And I know Jesus. And I've had people say, well, well I mean, there's you know, so many questions. I just don't know. And I said, I, hey, I have questions too. But I can't give on this. I can't give up on this. I can't give up on this because, uh, yes, I have questions. Yes, there are places where this is hard. Yes, there are places where faith, uh, where, where I'm going, I, I'm holding on for this, with everything I can. But the reason I can hold on is because I have experienced the risen Jesus in my life. And when you experience the risen Jesus in your life, man, everything changes. You can't explain it. You don't know how to talk about it. You don't know, you don't know what to do with it. It's like trying to tell a teenager about love. They're like, how did you know that you fell in love with mom? I don't know, we just did. Well, what's it feel like? I don't know, it just does. It just is. I can't... I can't explain it to you. I can't point to it. I can't say this is love or this is love or this is love because it just is. And the experience with Jesus, man, the, the, the resurrection, it just, it, it just is. And then here's where this gets cool and then I'll, I'm gonna wrap up with a couple verses. Every one of us has been invited to experience the risen Jesus. Every one of us has been invited 
to experience his grace and his love, to receive his invitation to be the high priest of our lives who leads us into service, into worship. Now here's where this gets cool. Man, this gets so cool. So all this language begins to all kind of come together. This person in Hebrews, this author in Hebrews is talking about this and saying, here's this high priest. Uh, Again, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way. How cool, right? They're saying, we have a high priest who was born. You know, somebody begins to tell the stories. Oh, yeah, 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 we walked through that. We We just came through that, remember, in Advent? We were hoping for the expectation. We were waiting for this Messiah to come. So remember that story at Christmas? Remember when Mary was told about who he would be and she's carrying this baby and, oh yeah, right. And then he's born and he's tempted in every way. He, he, he's raised, he, he, he's, a, he's just like us, right? <laughs> but he didn't sin. Then he goes on, because of that, because he is the high priest, because he is actually worthy. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let's find mercy, find grace in our time of need. We can place him in that place as high priest. And so really what's amazing is when we're singing together, these songs, right? We're singing overall. We're singing higher and higher. We lift you higher. Man, that song, it's pointing to our high priest who is over all. And we're saying we lift you higher. That's why we come. That's why we sing together. You know... I get it, I'm a musician. Man, there's something that happens when you go from a minor chord to a major chord. You drop from an E minor to a G, it lifts it up and you just feel that energy and that excitement, right? I get music moves people. But the difference, what happens in this space, why this is so different, is because it's not about music. It's about lifting this high priest who guides and leads us. Now, now listen, this gets cool. It goes beyond just this time of worship. In Romans 12, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he's like, hey, listen, gather on Sunday. Celebrate this this reality that this high priest, this Jesus who is Lord, is alive, who leads you, who guides you, directs you. But he says, listen, but your proper worship, the liturgy that you continue to give, this life of service, that is every single day of the week. He said, that is your true and proper worship, that what you take from here would continue on throughout the week. Now, all of this gets us to a point that I want to uh, read this morning. Just a quick story in John chapter 1. This is actually one of the readings that's in what I told you about the lectionary. This is actually the reading for today. And I wanted to have all that to lead up to this, and then this story will take us out of the message this morning. So listen to this. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. (laughs) Listen to this. Come and see, said Philip. 
So look what Philip says there. Come and see. And I just, I love this moment. I, I love this that he comes and says, hey, he sees him, he says, hey, hey I, we, we found the Messiah. The stories that we had told, those hopes and those promises, we found him. He's like, ugh, can anything good come from there? You're telling me that's where the Messiah is from? He's like, just come and, come and see. Come and see. And initially, reluctant Nathaniel accepted the invitation. I, I wonder if he saw that maybe Philip was sincere. I mean, things change, right, when you just say, just come and see. Just come and experience it. That's all it takes sometimes to invite others. So Philip just pointed to Jesus because he had found Jesus and he had to share Jesus, right? So it says on, it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this is one of those only Jesus can do that sort of moments where Jesus shares that he saw Nathanael before Philip even showed up. And Nathanael's going, what? How did you, you saw me at the fig tree before? What? That doesn't make any sense. How does that happen? And there's so much in that. And the thing is this, he, he saw him. That's the point. He saw him. That should give us some confidence because he saw you. He saw your friends. He saw your neighbors. He saw the people who you say, come and see. He saw them before you even saw them. But for what? What is, again, what is Jesus up to here? So it goes on. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I, yeah, I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. Now, now hold on. Before I, make, before I read this last statement, listen to this. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. And he's like, you saw this miracle. You, you see this. Only Jesus can do that sort of thing. And that has impressed you. And he says, no. He goes on, he goes, you will see greater things than that. He's like, I mean, I just want us to enter this story. Can you just enter this story for a minute? And imagine Jesus being like, I saw you this morning before you even got that cup of coffee and spilled it. Like, and you're like, you are Jesus. And he's like, don't be impressed. You'll see greater things than that. So Jesus is sort of like, just wait until you see. Now listen to this. Imagine following Jesus. Imagine seeing his miracles, hearing his teachings, experiencing his life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine following Jesus? Can you imagine seeing his miracles? Can you imagine hearing his teaching? Can you imagine experiencing his life? So if you're a follower of Jesus, the answer is actually yes. This is where you say, oh yeah, you're right, I have. This isn't where we look at Nathaniel and we go, oh, wouldn't it have been cool to be Nathaniel? Wouldn't it be cool if I had seen his miracles, if I experienced his teaching, if I had heard what he had to say, if I experienced his life? Wouldn't that be cool if I could be Nathaniel? If you're a follower of Jesus, we all have. Because again, that's what we believe. That we experience the resurrected Jesus in our lives every single day. I have experienced Jesus I have had Jesus as a part of my life. I've seen his miracles take place. And you don't have to imagine. That's what it means to be invited. That's what it means to explore the way of Jesus. But it gets even wilder than this, friends. Later on, John returns to this as Jesus makes an absolutely mind-blowing statement to his disciples, way beyond what he had just told Nathaniel. Listen to this. In John 14, so several chapters later, "'Very truly, I tell you,' says Jesus." Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, 
and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus is like, you thought what I just did was impressive. Nathaniel, you will see even greater things than that. And then he's teaching. He looks later on. I wonder if he looks over at Nathaniel and he says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. I wonder if he looked over at Nathaniel. Do you think he did? And he's like, and they'll do even greater things. <laughs> he's like, what? See, in the seasons that we've been in, we saw the hope again and the expectation of Jesus. Now we're in this epiphany and we're looking at who Jesus is, what he came to do. We're going to continue to tell, retell stories of his birth, his life, his teaching, along with his death and resurrection. But what I don't want you to miss is I don't want you to miss the season that he is inviting every single one of us into today. You are being invited into a season that is your entire life. You are being invited into a season that is a life of worship to him. What he's saying is your life can be a liturgy of Jesus. Your life can be led by the only one who can be the high priest over our lives if we would accept his grace and his power at work within us. And then think about this. As he does that, the world changes. As, as we declare him the high priest over our lives, the, the ruler of the, the, the one who runs the liturgy of our lives, who we are in service to, everything changes. And greater things are done than the world could ever possibly imagine. Greater things are done than the disciples could have, could have even thought about. And so the question is for every single one of us, will we accept that invitation today? You know, the first invitation is, hey, let's get out of the calendar that we're all in. Let's get out of this calendar that tends to make us think, oh, first semester, second semester, summer. Oh, we've got, you know, fall, winter, spring, right? Okay, we've got baseball, see with this. Okay, all those calendars, fine. Those are great calendars, but they are not the calendar that matters. Because this is the calendar that I'm going to enter with my life that helps me enter the story of Jesus. And as I do that, I come to a place where I say, and he is my high priest. He is the one who this calendar is leading up to and who my life is in service to. So then I say, I'm not just going to service on Sunday. I'm going to gather with a bunch of people who say, Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. He has saved me. His spirit is alive within me. And through him, this world will change. And as we talked about, the world needs what? More grace? Yeah. The world needs more love. The world needs more mercy. The world needs more justice. The world needs people who want to live like Jesus. The world needs that. So let's enter this story. Let's come to this place where we ask, who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? He came to be the high priest of my life, 
that I will follow his direction. I will experience his Holy Spirit working in and through me. And then amazing things, greater things than we could ever imagine take place. God, we are so thankful for these passages this morning. Um, All of this that we walked through that guided us to this place, to be invited into this story. And to see the story that we're invited doesn't end at the resurrection. It ends at this place of invitation. This place where we are born new. Where we experience resurrection in our lives. Made new. To live in such a different way that the world in our neighborhoods, in our communities, our families, the city, this entire world would look different. And so, Father, as we pray and as we look to the Prince of Peace, may we be people of peace. As we look to the one who who gives us incredible, never-ending grace, may we be people of never-ending grace. As we experience your love pouring over us, lavishly upon us, may we be people who experience and give that kind of love to this world. Because it needs it. And we need you to change our hearts. And so we lift you higher today. And we worship. Amen.